If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, I am the William Popa, and I have brought you this show. You're welcome. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I am Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this very issue, what you hold in your metaphorical hands, I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the pesky ink stains on your favorite khaki pants. Let's get dangerous. Plus, will Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, become the Red Skull? And what happens if Tim Drake does find his lost daddy? I think everybody's going to get a bump down the ladder, kind of like what happens when The Undertaker comes out of retirement. And will Roy Harper's new card name, code name, Three, two, one. Will Roy Harper's new code name be Wacky One Arm Bandit or Five Finger Discount? Your mileage may vary. Plus, in the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey, butane in my veins, and I'm out to cut the junkie with the plastic eyeballs, spray paint the vegetables, dog food stalls with the beef case pantyhose, kill the headlights and put it in neutral, stock car flaming with the loser and the cruise control, babies in Reno with the vitamin D, got a couple of couches, I sleep on the love seat. someone came and saying I'm insane to complain about a shotgun wedding and a stain on my shirt. Don't believe everything that you breathe. You got a parking violation and a maggot on your sleeve, so shave your face with some mace in the dark. Saving all your food stamps and burning down the trailer park. Spoilers majorly. We're a podcast, baby. And we're on the air now. Wow! Drive by. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Good night. That's all the time we have for this <laughs> Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. How long is your ponytail now? Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Lots to get to this week, so let's not dick around. This week, under our news, our big wheel of destiny, we have three items to select from this week. We've got Power Girls creative team is going to leave with issue number 12. We've got Darkwing Duck going to Boom Studios or Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull. One, two, or three, spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where it lands. Quack. Oh, it lands on number two. Boom Studio gets Darkwing Duck. This was announced at the Emerald City Comic Con this past weekend that uh, Darkwing Duck is going to be written by Ian Brill, who also wrote Zombie Tales, with art by James Silvani, who does uh, Muppet King Arthur. Rodrigo, I don't know if you had a chance to pick that one up yet. It's going to be a four-issue miniseries where Darkwing Duck's city of St. Canard is under the control of a mysterious corporation. Darkwing's been out of commission for a while when his friends and family are under attack. You better watch out, you bad boys. Darkwing Ducks fights new villains as well as old for Megavolt, Quackerjack, Liquidator, and Bushroot are on the loose. Rodrigo, reactions. <gasps> <laughs> Matthew, reactions. What, what of Negaduck? 
Darkwing Duck came out in 1991. Matthew and I were already in college, and I just vaguely remember the first season. I think I was still more into uh, Tailspin, which I thought was a better... Mm-hmm. More fun you were, series. You were bitter that that Darkwing replaced Ducktales. It really did because you know Launchpad is really an excellent character, but I think he played better in Ducktales than he did mm. in Darkwing Duck. So nothing against Darkwing like Duck. He's a it's a great shadow spoof. It's a great Batman kind of riff. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought it was a great character, and I'm glad that Disney has decided to stick with the company that's doing some of their great cartoon properties and keeping it with Boom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Jim Cummings is an absolute genius. Okay. Just the vocal, the vocal, the vocal technique that he used to delineate the difference between Darkwing and Negaduck. Same voice. Mm-hmm. It's basically even the same performance, but he gives it such subtlety that Negaduck, dressed as Darkwing Duck, still sounded like Negaduck. Nice. Very. It cool. was very impressive. Rodrigo, did you were going to say something? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Um I think that Darkwing Duck was always a really really fun show and if they can capture uh, at least half of what that show had going on cuz it was, you know, it was a superhero show. Right. But it was also a big superhero spoof. Right. Um in a time when there really wasn't all that much uh, superhero and stuff right, in the mainstream right. media. This was, so though, it was kind of a show for comic fans in a way. I'm trying to think what year Batman the Animated Series came out. They must have been out 90. right around the same time as, as mm-hmm. one another. Uh, because, I want to say that was 90. It was, a, it was right in the, on the heels of the 89 Batman flick. Yeah, and because uh, I do remember we were in college for that, and I just found that more fascinating. I guess my problem with... Uh, superheroes was, you know, uh, Drake Mallard never was, he wasn't really a hero, you know, he was always yeah. like, let me stumble through being the hero and make it ha 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 wacky funny. And I just can't stand that in a hero. There's this show that my kid watches right now called Special Special Agent Oso, mm-hmm. which is Spanish oh, for a bear, right? Wow. And just so happens the character's a bear, a Whoa. secret agent bear, right? Wow, what are the odds And of he's that? a special agent. And he's special, all right, because that idiot can't do a dang thing. <laughs> it's always like he's tripping or f- stumbling or fumbling or doing something dumb. And I just don't like that in my heroes. Yeah, um, it's the it's the uh, Inspector Gadget style of, yeah. of superheroing. Yes, yes. Uh, where, so, where mostly your knees just does most of the work for you. Exactly. And that's what Goslin did in, in uh, Darkwing Duck. And mm-hmm. I, did, I did like her ca- character. The, the, the best line, and I think it was from Darkwing Duck. I hope it wasn't from Tailspin. But I do believe it was um, Darkwing and Launchpad were tied up together. And uh, no, maybe they weren't tied up together, but Launchpad stumbles upon the lair. Mm-hmm. And Darkwing goes... Who is the perpetrator? And Launchpad's like, hey, wait a minute. Who are you calling a purple traitor? Nice. That's like the best line that I ever remember from, from that series. So That's the line you remember. Know. You know, actually, as I'm looking here, uh, Darkwing Duck actually debuted before Batman the Animated Series. Nice. Batman the Animated really? Series ran from 92 through 95 in its original uh, run. That that whole deal... Um it was it was Disney, you know, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, Tailspin, Goof Troop. It was Disney really kind of experimenting. Well, they had, they had this eventually... whole Disney afternoon block yeah. that they had, and it started off with DuckTales, which by far is still, I think, one of the better cartoon shows as far as telling a rich history of, mm-hmm. of tales that you had there. DuckTales, obviously. And then that spun off with um, 
Rescue Rangers, yeah, and then Goof Troop, and then you know you had Ducktales, or I'm sorry, a Darkwing Duck, and um, Gargoyles, Gargoyles, and uh, Rescue Rangers, Power Rangers, Power Rescue Rangers. Rangers was in there, but that was all part of Disney's. You know, they had a two-hour block. Rescue Rangers, yeah, they had two-hour block in the afternoon that you could come home from school and sit down and Disney had you for two hours, <laughs> yeah, before dinner, or as, as as you did, come home from working at the radio station before we went for our night classes at Heather Hall. You you say this like you're 12 years old. No, I'm it's saying for kids. I'm saying from a kids. I'm saying for kids that was the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, was that was that Disney Animation Power Pack or whatever they had? So this is only four issues. Uh, which is kind of sad, but on wow. the other hand, I'm glad Disney decided to go with them instead of going over to Marvel mm-hmm. with this. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, uh, Disney and Boom have done four issue miniseries before. They've done it with The Incredibles. They've done it with The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done it with a couple of other things. So who knows? This could turn it's, into an ongoing. I, I think it's definitely. They did it with Cars, Toy Story. Yep. I think it's definitely proven to be a good. Um, a good method, you know. They put out the Ford issue mini, and um, if that hits, then they go ahead with the other thing. Now, I don't know if anything hasn't hit so far because Cars, The Incredibles, um, and uh, Toy the Muppets, Story. Muppets, and yeah. Toy Story; those have all become ongoing series. Yes, yeah. yeah, they have. And uh, I'm surprised. My son actually sat down and we read through a whole issue of Toy Story didn't get up or whine or fuss or want to rush through the story. He was fixed to that entire mm-hmm. thing. And he's two. And he loves the Cars comic book, too. He would mm-hmm. go to the store and he'll see the Cars comic book. Got to buy that and uh, and read that. So they got to be doing something right. Boom, kids. Good on you, Boom. That's Anything right. else, Matthew, you want to add? If they do this right, it could conceivably mean somewhere down the line the return of Freakazoid. <sighs> yeah, maybe that'd be kind of cool. Would that be awesome? That was Warner Brothers. I mean, yeah. that was Warner Brothers, Steven Spielberg uh, group. So if we see anything, that would be probably on over DC on, on DC Kids. Yeah. John freak DC. you. Freak me. Um, and, you know, people, th- this is this is the very coveted, oh, no kids are in comics thing. Right. And this is an organic way to do it. Just take a character that everybody knows already naturally appeals to kids and give them a comic book series as opposed to trying to fish for a concept that kids will like. Right. And by tying it to a character that old dudes know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm interested in it because I like Darkwing. I like his original appearances. Guys like Steven and I, who, let's be frank, are kind of the bread and butter of comics these days, aren't going to immediately eschew it because it's a kiddie book or a child's book. Right. It's going to be based on something that we know from previously, and I think yeah. that that may work for its advantage. Damascus says, I usually loathe kitty comics, but I'll have to pick this up. Even at a young age, I knew uh, that fanny packs were horribly unfashionable, but I got a Darkwing Duck belt bag from Proofs of Purchase Points from some cereal when I was like eight, and I swear I wore that thing every day. When there's trouble, you call DW. That's right. All right. Hey, speaking of uh, some things you ought to call, you ought to call that major spoilers hotline, 785-727-1939. And record your best Yoda impression, talking about major spoilers. And the four best, we've got two of them in now, the four best are going to win themselves some Hasbro action figures. Some Star Wars Hasbro action figures. Take a listen to our latest entry. Hey, this is Tom. I'm trying to get the action figure, so here's the best Yoda I can dig up. Major spoilers you are. Yes. Listen to many times. 
guide me through the dark times. Matthew and Stephen, let me go. So much fun. That's one question I have. Who happens to be this you keep talking about? You must sit back and ponder. Use the force to get your account. Yes. Hey, guys, love the show. Talk to you later. Oh, uh, I'll give you my last name, but this is Tom. Starts with a P. Talk to you later. So all you need to do, give us a call, 785-727-1931. Record that Yoda voice. Two more really good ones, and we'll get these four out the door, and we can start another contest here at Major Spoilers, because that is what we do. And, of course, we've got a bunch of other things over on the Majorspoilers.com website. Take a drink. Uh, don't forget, we've got a retro review last week from Matthew. We've got the dueling reviews that Matthew and I are forced to do by our robot overlord every Sunday. We've got original content each and every day, including today's, wow, top 10 wacky vehicles that you see in comics or something along that lines. Ought to be worth checking out. We've got two new reviewers, Scott Hunter and Brian Green have joined on. We'll see uh, how long they last before Matthew drives them out. <laughs> how many people think Scott Hunter and Brian Green sounds like a tag team in the TNA wrestling? They will be tonight after the show when Matthew creates them in one of his 50 uh, slots that, that he has available. That or the uh, the cute one and the dark one in a uh, boy band. <laughs> <laughs> and coming up well, the we, end of We've March. already got the fat one, the leader, and the ethnic one. Yep. Oh, there have to be I, five. I, I do the rapping while there's a well. Well, they bring in like a weird bongo break. Oh boy, I'm still recovering from a cold, so you may hear some coughing here and there throughout the show. I do have my cough switch, but I think it also gets picked up on uh, Rodrigo's mic. But that's okay. I'm Everything sorry for that. It's picked up on Rodrigo's mic, and also right. you're even, not nearly as subtle with the thoughts. wind break. <laughs> Stephen's thoughts. Ooh, how can I make money? Ooh, I like Matthew, but let's not let anybody know because he's awesome. Ooh, love those ceiling tiles. <laughs> love those about? ceiling tiles. I have no idea what Matthew's talking about. One other thing that we have coming up at the end of March, of course, is our semi-book of the month club, the other word book that we call it. This month's book, The Chinatown. <laughs> it's a semi-book. <laughs> it's a semi-book. It's about big old trucks that drive through chinatown the chinatown death cloud peril by pa paul malmont you can go check that out we'll talk about it at the end of march stick around we're going to come back with reviews right after this how to get a major spoilers shout out if you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show all you have to do is the following steps number one visit majorspoilers.com two click on the make a donation button three Donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20-06. Thank you so much to William Pope and everyone else who's contributed to the Major Spoilers experience. Without Excuse me, guys, it's pronounced William Popa. We couldn't keep the lights on, couldn't <laughs> keep those server going for another month. So now that we're done with news... It's top. No, wait, that's not it. Uh, wait, I'm, uh, uh, hang on. I forgot to do the news music, and if I don't do them in order, I completely lose my train of thought. Let's see. News. You want to help him out, Rodrigo? Uh, let's see. Uh, I got uh, the, uh, reference to a guy I don't know. Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Oh, it's reviews. Thank you. I knew it was reviews. <clears throat> hang on. Let me get Yeah, cover your ears, everybody. 
You know what? I'm not going to do it because <laughs> you're <rude>. Great. Excellent. <laughs> Let's get on to reviews, everybody, this week. Uh, we've got three reviews for you guys this week. One from Matthew, one from Rodrigo, and one from myself. Rodrigo, why don't you we start like with we you? We don't have that every week. Well, we have them once a week. Sometimes we have one from Rodrigo, one from Matthew, and one from Yes, yeah, so let's start with Other Rodrigo this week. We have one from you, one from Rodrigo. What have you got yeah. for us this week, Rodrigo? This week I have Black Widow and the Marvel Girls, number four <laughs> of four. It just sounds like a fun, uh, I don't know, is, really? it, is it like pillow I'm fights I'm it sounds everything? like an adult film that you'd see on Skinamax. <laughs> I was going to say, do they have pillow fights in their underwear? Right after that, Super Ninja Cheerleaders. That or like that really kind of uh somewhat lame local band that is oh yeah, yeah all girls mostly because it's that one girl who convinced all her friends yeah, yeah, to yeah. play along with her yes. she's black widow and they're the marvel girls and then but they don't tonight at the lumberyard lounge it's black widow and the marvel girls followed by eclipsing diana that's right yes and their new hit <clears throat> excuse me have you seen my pants satan stole my helmet Anyway, um, so this is number four, and I think um, each one of these is basically a one-shot starring Black Widow, clearly trying to accomplish the Marvel double whammy of, once again, trying to get girls into comics and building some hype around Black Widow since she's going to be an Iron Man. Oh, of course. Um, So, and you know, I mean, I think Marvel is really hardcore committing to this whole um girls things books, books that appeal to girls oh okay like. so number one does it appeal to girls um i think this one much more than uh heartbreakers, heartbreakers yeah um i think would because it features girls taking action doing cool things without other than the very obvious title without it mattering that they're girls kind of you know it's not like this is a girl doing a girl thing these are girls gossiping about superhero boys exactly this is black widow you know an interesting character um kind of doing her black widow thing which is mostly uh being very down to business while everybody else is not down to business it's you know this is a good book this this particular story at least is pretty Pretty cool. It's um, Black Widow and Storm mm-hmm. team up because there's been a rash of weird disappearances. Now, it's never quite explained why Storm is there. It's like, why is Storm here? Because I am involved. Okay, Storm. That's really the only issue with it. Um, the There's been this rash of disappearances in the criminal community, and they're worried that eventually it's going to start to spread out to normal uh, oh, okay. law-abiding Marvel citizen. Okay. So they, uh, they're they like, okay, well, there's a third person who's going to be working this case for you or with you. And it turns out to be the Mole Man. Hey, everybody. What? How are you, ladies? Not, not Hans Mole Man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the Mole Man. Um, because somebody has hijacked some of his moleons. Moleons. Moloids. That's right. Um his moleoids. And by a, a moloid is a, a hemorrhoid on your mole. Good. Um, and is using them for non-mole man purposes, which bothers him. Moly, <laughs> which is moly, which moly. is largely to shake his fists at the Fantastic Four while they blow up his plans. I right, think. right. 
is what the mole man uses them for. So it's it's actually cool. Like the the mole man actually really kind of cro- comes across as like the classy penguin. You know, oh, like, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. From Batman, um, not like the horrible, disfigured, evil penguin, but like um, just kind of like this as this like nasty little yeah, nasty perverted little man who's, who who is polite enough yeah, to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's it's really interesting. He kind of screws things for them a couple times, um, and kind of redeems himself in the process. And in the end, kind of very does a very polite villain turn. He's like, "Well, now that we've accomplished what we wanted, I'm going to become evil again, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to leave since you are now surrounded by mole people." Nah. So it's you know it's actually a pretty good book. That's um, cool. The art is solid. Um, it has kind of that dar manga influence. I think this is the guy who was uh, drawing Runaways for a while. Um, I think Takashi Miyazawa. Miyazawa. Yeah, I think is who this is. Takashi Miyazawa. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's good. I think he's also drawing uh, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man, isn't Takeshi he? Takashi Miyazawa. Um, written by Paul Tobin. It's it's nice. It's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this three and a half slices of meatloaf. It is wow pretty. It's a pretty solid... Like, I was impressed by this. I was like, this is a one-shot that um, it tells you a whole story, an interesting story. It has plot twists. It has interesting dialogue between characters. Mm -hmm. It features each one of the characters in turn. It's basically three main characters in this. Um, And, you know, it's not obnoxious fan service it's not ridiculous continuity issues because you know it's just this quick one shot everybody sure. it's explained who everybody is immediately upon meeting them right and you know it's just like if you hand this to somebody they will understand who each one of these characters are cool Pretty hello cool. storm hello black widow hello yeah. celine dion that's yeah. right miyazawa is the artist on uh, ultimate comics ultimate spider-man nice and, and i think his he was art doing is good except i don't know there's something about the Latest Ultimate Spider-Man issue number eight, uh-huh. where it's the these women uh, standing around, sexy women, the sexy women's. They all look like I don't know. They got big heads and tiny bodies. Yeah, they're kind of they're kind of. Is that when the Serpent Squad is fighting the Warriors Three? Uh, I don't know who they are. Maybe you can identify them since I don't um, know who they are. But yeah, that's those are the Serpent Squad in the okay. in the uh, Ultimate Universe. So they I are. Black, they're fighting Black Widow. The not Black Widow. Black Black Mamba. The Asp. Viper. Uh, Death yeah. Adder and uh, somebody else. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, his art is his art is his art is good. If you like that manganese manganese style, manganese. Yes, <laughs> manganese. If you like, I believe manganese. Your, if you like your alkali, starts metals. burning, will burn. Uh, um. So yeah, pretty solid. I think he was also drawing um, Spider Man Loves Mary Jane. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I love again, that book. Again, trying, you know, and and that's a good idea too. You know, kind of get this continuity between Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, Runaways, which is a much more accessible book yeah, for for girls. younger readers and yeah. girls. I mean, my sister loved Runaways. Yeah. Um. So I think you know, if you're gonna go with something, go with something like Black Widow and the Marvel Girls. If you want to get girls into comics, not Heartbreakers, and not very good. Um, <laughs> you know what concerns me? What about Her Rose or whatever it is? Have you read that one yet? I haven't. Okay. No. That hasn't come out yet. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't. I'm bothered. I'm not a woman, except on the internet. Uh-huh. But I'm I'm bothered by the fact that all of the attempts to get girls in comics are named things like girl comics. And Black Widow and the Marvel Girls, and I'm like, well, yeah, because well, you can't make all the covers to all the issues pink. Well, well, 
Why would you want to? You know, I, I mean, think about that, it. That's another artist. guy comics. It's Iron Man, right? Right. Superman, Spider Man, Incredible right. Hulk. Well, Incredible what's wrong Hulk. with the Marvel women? And that's women. what we all call it. So there you go. Oh, you Storm mean the, is a the grown woman. Of the she's word girl a queen of of a uh, country, and she's still a girl. Oh, I see. I thought I, I see what I you're see saying. What you're okay, saying. I see. I see. I thought you just it's kind of demeaning, the you know, girl it's, or a woman in the title. Uh, I don't have a problem with the with the word girl, but I think if I were a grown woman, I might be concerned with I, the fact that an industry that's all about boys and males and heroes and uh, kicking and punching, and it's all about girls. I think Spy, Spider Girl. Wonder Girl, Power Girl. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I think nowadays people, like, the word girl has so many little meanings. Like, yes. when like when Steven goes out and hangs out with all his friends, he goes out with the guys. When his wife goes out, she goes out with the girls. You know, not the women, not yeah, yeah, the yeah. gals. Well, we live in Kansas, so they might actually I think say she the calls them. I think she calls them those bitches. That yeah. <laughs> you know, like girl doesn't it, it? It doesn't offend. It doesn't offend me, or it does, I don't think it. It's it's a problematic way of putting it because I think very frequently women call themselves girls, and it's just kind of a a more a, a friendlier, uh, more personal way to, to refer to someone as a girl rather than... I, I prefer so you don't the have term a problem. bearer of the double X chromosome. Myself. That's right. Yeah, that just doesn't fit on a title very well. Yeah. And you know sure. that's, Black you know Widow that's, and the Marvel women's bearers, bearers of the, of the double, double X chromosome. chromosome. Yeah, and you know that's what Marvel's something. doing, right? Like knocking on people's doors. Hello, I have... Our studies show that you are missing a Y chromosome and thus have strange behaviors that do not involve buying our comic books. Thus, we have created this Black Widow and the Marvel girls to that will likely appeal in. to people with this strange deficiency. Why do they talk like Zachary Quinto as Spock? It's logical. It is logical. Marvel is being very logical about this. Yeah, exactly. So three, three slices of the old meat. Three and a half. Three and a half. All right. Three and a half. Pay attention, my friend. I was scouring through my stack of comics looking for that uh, Miyazawa Ultimate Spider-Man thing. He got he got so freaked out by the initial three slices that he missed the, <laughs> the last half of it. So uh, this remember, week, folks, round up this week. Uh, if you've been over to the Major Spoilers website, you saw a review of Batgirl number eight, mm -hmm. which leads directly into Red Robin number ten. So we kind of got a yum. crossover thing going here, where you had to read. One review to get the other review, in a sense. So nice. Do you do you still get the uh, breaded cucumber sticks when you read the bad? Mm, yeah, still a little bit. Bottomless French fries. Yeah, I need some. I need some campfire sauce. So following the big fight with uh, the ninjas in Batgirl, uh, there were ninjas in Batgirl. Check this out. Not only ninjas wearing their ninja clothes, nice. but ninjas wearing suits. Oh, awesome. So Suit they, ninjas. And Batgirl was wearing a purple dress during the entire fight. Nice. So they're discussing this, and it turns out that uh, Ra's al Ghul has pretty much put a hit on all of Red Robin's uh, friends, lovers, interests, whatever. Anybody that he's had some kind of connection with or tie with, he wants dead. Because Red Robin pretty much scuttled the whole League of Assassins empire, and he wants revenge. So who does he send after Batgirl? He sends... Prue, Prudence, the girl that uh, Robin was working with in the previous arc, the uh, spider arc, mm -hmm. which is fine. Now, 
I didn't really care that much for the Batgirl issue. Um, what it did, though, was it kind of focused all on Batgirl's thoughts over Tim reentering her life. And so we saw all the thought balloons were her thoughts. Mm-hmm. In Red Robin, we get to see the exact same thing, but we get to see all of Tim's thoughts about how he's kind of back into the relationship and how he's messed up or not messed up and how much he's impressed that Stephanie has grown as a hero. Now, so th- let me... Now, go ahead. Uh, just, just so I have this straight, this is... Red Robin is... Tim Drake. Tim, Tim Drake, Wayne. And, yes. <laughs> and uh, um, Bad Girl is formerly Spoiler Wayne, right? Yeah, but not. Right. Uh, well, she wasn't. She wasn't a Wayne. She wasn't officially adopted. She She's was got totally a mother, but she was Spoiler. So th- yes. he. She used to be. His she was also kid. Robin yes. briefly. Yeah, she was also Robin okay. briefly before they killed her, and then. So let's talk around. about the fetishistic aspect about the fact that this relationship consists of two people who used to wear exactly the same clothes because their male sponsor wanted them to. Exactly. Little pervy folks. Yeah. All right. Well, in Batgirl's case, that's a new outfit that Barbara Gordon whipped up for her. So, all right. No, when she was Robin, she wore Tim's clothes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Stay with me. Here. Kind of there, yeah. Um, so there's actually three stories. There's the first one with Prudence and Tim and Stephanie all realizing that, oh, my gosh, we have to start protecting all of the people that uh, Robin knows while avoiding booby traps, they go to one of Tim's hideouts and the whole place is rigged to blow up and fortunately they escape. It's a nice kind of heightened moment of, uh, what's going to happen? Except right next to it is the page where they're falling down through a hole safe and unharmed. So it kind of mm-hmm. ruins that big splash. That's kind of an issue with comics in general. You know? Well, you know, they used it, it to really have... It depends on placement. I know. If they could have put an ad right there, that would have been perfect. You know, continued after next page. You could have gone, oh my God, did they survive? <gasps> Flip. Yep. Yeah, sea monkeys. <laughs> I want X-ray specs. <laughs> so the second story arc all has to do with again Rayshaw Ghoul trying to uh, bring down the whole Wayne Empire, and he knows that the current Bruce Wayne is is uh, hush, um, and so he knows that it's uh, very easy for him to get everything in the Wayne Empire, and he basically tells him. Hey, I want everything that Bruce Wayne has. So that's an interesting point. And then the third story is um, Vicki Vale wanting to know where Tim Drake is. Showing up at at the uh, Wayne Manor, pretty much demanding to see Bruce to say, why did Bruce sign out a note to let Tim run around? And Tim's like, wait a minute. Or Alfred's like, well, Bruce never signed anything. She's like, where's Tim? Where's Tim? Where's Tim? And she runs into Zoanne Fox, who is uh, Lucius Fox's daughter. Mm-hmm. who in the previous arc uh, discovered that Tim was Red Robin. And now okay. she's targeted for death. And of course, in the very final panel, it is Vicki Vale running into Zoanne, wanting to get an exclusive story, and they're both in the crosshairs. Dun, dun, dun. So, in order to really appreciate what's going on in Red Robin number 10, you have to have read the first 10 issues of Red Robin. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. If you want to also understand what's going on in this story, it's probably a good idea to have read Batgirl number eight. So these two are kind of tied together. Standalone issues, they're probably both three, three and a half slices of the old meatloaf. Okay. And I think Red Robin is definitely three slices of meatloaf here. Put them together, though, and it is a pretty compelling story. So that's where we come from that. Chris Yost, good writing. Marcus Toe or Tao, 
uh, does excellent art in this book, much better than in the Batgirl series where you had art switch out in the middle of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, well-paced, some good splash pages, some good character moments, um, some good twists. Overall, though, three three slices of meatloaf. And on that note, I think I'm going to take over later in the DC Universe or somewhere up and to the left. Uh, those of you who have been paying attention may remember a young lad named Justice! Oh, good Lord. Cry for justice. That thing that uh, had you so upset. We talked about that. Oh, I should have pointed out. People were asking after Saturday's episode. Hey, don't you mean that this episode you just posted is episode 184 and not 185? Mm -hmm. Well, no. Yeah, two drinks probably. No, we did record episode 184 where we talked about Cry for Justice and we talked about... Killing kids for shock value. Mm-hmm. That was in episode 184. For fun and profit. It, yes. <laughs> it was released exclusively for people following our Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So if you were on our Twitter feed and you saw that, that announcement, you know how to get that episode 184. It's just a really quick bare, bare bones episode, but it's about, I think, 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. You should check it out. And we talked about Cry for Justice and Matthew's problems with, with that. Justice! So this is kind of, what would you call this, Matthew? Is this the... Um, this is the pillaging. The aftermath? Is this the epilogue? What is no, this? No, aftermath comes lunch. This is sort dun, of... Dun, dun. This is what we like to refer to as a way station. Cry for Jivstice is done, and now we're going to deal with the inevitable ramifications thereof. And this is, this is a thing that sets us up with that new status quo and says, okay, here's what you need to know to jump on board ongoing events in what looks to be a couple of titles. At least two, possibly three. Uh, Justice League Rise and Fall one-shot special. It's uh, written by J.T. Cruel, who should be a professional wrestler, uh, by Mike Mayhew, Diogenes Neves, and Fabrizio Fiorentino, uh, all of whom actually turn in a pretty interesting job. It starts right after the events of Cry for Justice, or possibly immediately after the events that ended the part that wasn't the end of cry for justice. And I don't know how that works. So it's kind of like, so essentially we're seeing the final scenes of cry for justice replayed here for those that missed it the first time. (laughs) In in some degree. Yeah. Essentially at the end of cry for justice, Prometheus tricked the justice league into letting him go. He got away because he convinced them that he was going to destroy other cities the way he destroyed star city. Green Arrow's home of Star City, of course, was blowed up, and his granddaughter, Leanne Harper, was killed in the explosion, along with theoretically millions of other people who we haven't really referenced because uh, I'm not sure why. But we open with Green Arrow looking for the Electrocutioner, who was Prometheus's agent in Star City, finding him, putting a bow and arrow to his head. Now, those of you who read Cry for Justice realize that the last scene of Cry for Justice was very similar Green Arrow put a bow and arrow to Prometheus's head. Right. Now, here's something that bothers me, and it shouldn't, but it does. At the end of Cry for Justice, we saw a scene where Prometheus, I'm going to spoiler it, takes an arrow in the face, bisects a line between the man's pupil. He falls to the ground. We see him lying with his head to the side and an arrow sticking out of his head, bleeding. Right. In fact, that was like the cover. That's also on the cover. No. Yeah, look here. Rise and fall special. There's Prometheus no, with an arrow I'm through talking, his head laying on the floor. Uh, okay, I'm talking about the actual the end of Cry for Justice. Yeah, I'm saying it's the same he thing fell, on the cover. 
on the cover I'm of waiting this for... book? Yeah. Yes, that's I'm... that's what okay. Three, two, one. Here's my problem with part of the vision. <laughs> that sequence ended with Prometheus face down with an arrow in his head. This same story tells that same panel wherein the arrow travels through Prometheus's head, carries his whole body backwards, and sticks him to a board like a bug. I know. It's just like the cover is as wrong as the inside inside uh, art, just like you're saying in, in uh, Cry for Justice. Okay. All I'm saying is they've told the same story now from two separate perspectives. Covers don't count to me. Covers can be all sorts of effed up. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we've seen this scene from essentially the same camera point, if you will, and had it end different ways bothers me. Uh, Green Arrow deals with the fallout and his rage, and it is very ragey, and it's very much like what happened to Green Arrow years ago, circa the Longbow Hunters, when he was Dark and Gritty Hunter the first time. Um, we deal with the fallout from Star City, some looters, some people. Uh guy shows up to attack Star City and gets taken down, oddly enough, by... Batman and the second flash. And there's some really nice moments where Dick and Wally talk about, you know, Roy becoming red arrow and joining the league and the horrible things that happened to Roy. He got his arm chopped off. And then of course we get some Hal and some Barry because it won't be a DC book if it doesn't have Barry in it because, you know, perish forbid, we don't have Barry Allen shoved down our necks for the next 20 years, but Hal and Barry go and, they find the corpse of Prometheus with a little help from the immortal shade. And they realize what this means. They realize that Green Arrow has committed cold-blooded murder. The episode ends with Green Arrow basically escaping from his partners, teleporting away using Prometheus' own powers, leaving his best friend, his wife, and Barry Allen to realize that he's not just a murderer, he's a fugitive, and he intends to kill other people as well. It's interesting up to a point. I haven't been reading Green Arrow and Black Canary. They lost me on that title at the point where they did a forced separation where they were mad at each other. And I hate it when they do that with married couples. Yeah, they it just they lost me a little bit sooner, like on the wedding night when, who was it, uh, Manhunter? Every, man, 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 every man, man tried to kill her. That's when I was just like, all right, that's it for me. See, that was interesting to me. But the first few arcs of that book were all about, you know, a couple and their family and their weird blended family and how it all mm -hmm. came together. And then they're like, oh, wait, they need to be separated because, uh, I don't know, it makes for good drama. Basically, happy couples are dramatically inert is what it breaks down to. I'm not an Oliver Queen fan. I don't like what Oliver Queen did in Cry for Justice, not because it, you know, because it, it, it tarnishes a beloved character. Oliver Queen has killed men before. Oliver Queen at one point was shooting muggers through the hand and leaving them bleeding in alleys. Oliver Queen is a hunter as much as he is a superhero. That's not my problem. The problems that I have with this issue are that it kind of glosses over what I would consider to be a reason for this to happen. There's, there's no real through line of the story that makes me think that this is the next big adventure for Oliver Queen, the big change, the, you know, where the DC universe is headed. This just feels like kind of an afterthought to try and throw somebody a little bit of, Oh, let's give him some character depth, kill his kid. No, wait, maim his kid, kill his grandkid. Okay, fine. It feels forced to me. 
not a bad issue. Uh, Mike Mayhew turns in some really wonderful art on the sequence where Prometheus is killed differently than we saw him killed before. So much so that I actually like Mayhew's depiction of it better. Even though the physics of an arrow striking a man in the face and carrying him six feet back and pinning him to the wall are very questionable. Um, I like the sequence with Batman and the Flash. I like the fact that the, you know, we're referring to the consequences for Red Arrow, ugh, as well as the consequences for Green Arrow here. But the Red Arrow thing feels tacked on. This whole thing feels kind of like, how do we get Hal and Barry to the forefront of all of this? And the way they do it is they're driving a wedge between them because they feel different ways about Oliver doing what he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it'll go someplace awesome. I'd like to see it go someplace awesome and, you know, really give us a new take on Green Arrow. But I think what it's really going to end up being is Green Arrow and Black Canary getting a divorce. And then eventually two years down the line, they'll all be in the league again together and we'll pretend this ever happened. Um, good art. Dialogue is really, really stilted. There are some issues that I have with dialogue from page to page. Two slices of meatloaf overall. It's it's worthwhile if you want to see where Green Arrow is going. It's worthwhile if you loved Cry for Justice and you want to see some fallout. If you're wanting to see what comes next, this is a good place to start. But as far as the issue itself goes, on a standalone, just on the basis of the issue itself, it kind of falls short in terms of storyline, in terms of sell-through, and in terms of really giving me a reason to want to see Oliver Queen murderer and what it's going to mean for the DC universe. Interesting. I, um, I just like this last page. We have to stop him before he kills again. You notice how Barry is flinging himself around like a spastic in that picture. Yeah. Yeah. I hate St. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of the art of this book. I mean that you said you like that Batman. I like flash the Mayhew sec- I like the Batman flash fight. That's Mike Mayhew as well. Who it looks, they look like, um, uh, 3d objects that have bad shading on them okay that's 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 how i see it everyone's mileage does vary like i say this is going to be somebody's favorite comic book you know i so i mean no offense yeah yeah i think it's a good idea that they did put out a one shot like this because didn't um didn't this uh series cry for justice it took forever to get out didn't it yeah i want to say cry for justice took the better part of 12 to 13 months to get seven issues. Yeah, so I think a lot of people may not have read it. So this this may be something that we're going to see more often from DC. We see it already with Brightest uh, Brightest Day coming out, where we have kind of a one-shot that leads us into other stories Mm -hmm. so that people can say, okay, well, catch me up on what's happened, which is kind of what this issue does, right? To an extent? Mm -hmm. Nah, well, a little bit, yeah. It definitely recaps the important bits of Cry for Justice. Yeah, and then sends us off on the way. Prometheus did something unthinkable, and Green Arrow of the ante and shot him in the head. Yeah, and so I suppose if people go and pick up Green Arrow 31, they're probably not going to need to have read Rise and Fall. Well, mm, I won't say need. Need is probably not the right word for it, but, you know, it would certainly help. I think the one thing it does successfully is it does dispel any myth that Brightest Day is going to be all about shiny, silver age storytelling. Okay. 
where everything's going to be happy tree friends, you know, having coffee together. <laughs> well, if it's happy, happy tree, tree friends, friends then we know where it's going to end up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Those are our reviews this week. Kind of a moderate week for everything. So, uh, again, your, your mileage may vary, as Matthew said, depending on ha- what titles you like. You can always read more reviews and thoughts over at Majorspoilers.com. And that about wraps it up for the reviews this week. And when the moderation is through, it's time. For the millions in attendance and the 25 people who really want to see the tag team of Halston, Thorkelston, and the Blamange, it's time. Go ahead and start drinking now, folks, because it's going to be a while before you get done, and I apologize for the inevitable damage to your kidneys. The major spoilers. Oh, the week, 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 week. I started oh. thinking of... I started thinking about this one a while ago. It's kind of bothered me. I mean, I like good fight scenes in comic books, and this doesn't necessarily apply to Superman, but we see it most when Superman unleashes his mighty leash. The Superman uh, Captain Marvel fight in JLU struck me with this thought. Oh, did it? Okay. So here we have Earth's mightiest hero, right, in DC Comics. Now, of course, you've got the equivalent. You've got the equivalent over on uh, on the Marvel side. I mean, everybody. I mean, this could apply to any superhero that can destroy a building. But when Superman fights any of the big bads, or sometimes even the moderate people's, when he gets out of control a little bit, he doesn't have a problem picking up a car and dropping it on their head, or smashing somebody through a building, or in some cases, bringing an entire building down on top of somebody. What about all those people? What about all those people that fill up Metropolis that are the the bit players that we see in the background? What about their lives? Aren't their lives disrupted, destroyed? Where's Allstate when they need that coverage? When their home, their life has been destroyed by this behemoth in this blue and red, uh, who do you I'm, call? I'm sorry, ma'am, but uh, your policy doesn't come doesn't cover uh, guys in leotards. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the question this week is, should Superman, and in a general sense, superheroes, be held accountable for all the damage that occurs when they fight? Mm-hmm. When they do street damage, are they there to clean up? Where does that money come from? They don't have, I mean, Clark Kent's got a, a newspaper job. Yeah. He doesn't got an infinite supply of billions like Bruce Wayne. Please, he can get a handful of coal and make a billion dollars <laughs> worth of diamonds. So, Matthew, should Superman, or in general, any superhero, be held accountable for the damage that they they incur when they fight? Well, my answer is going to be a shockeroo, because it's going to take me a while to get around to the point. What? <laughs> I know. You're stunned, right? What this, this question really explains or, or, or kind of illuminates one of the problems with the change in comic books and comic book storytelling over the year. It used to be Spider-Man would be like, oh, I sure am glad that building was abandoned when it collapsed. Right. And now it's just crash, smash, thrash, destroy, blow it up, arga, garga. It's become a comic book trope to trash a building. I think you have to drink there, right? Yep. To trash a building, to blow something up, to show maximum property damage. And... Back Max in the day, damage. it was just it was just something entertaining that they would do. It'd be like, "Oh, it is an abandoned building. Let us destroy it." But sometimes you know, it, it works it, to really good effect, though. Like in the Justice League series, where Superman finally unleashes on Darkseid, and they're like really punching each other through buildings. It's like, "Wow, power!" Right? 
Yeah, but you just cost yourself three drinks by interrupting me. Woohoo! Again. I'm going to get people I, so drunk this week. I know, right? It's going to be awesome. I, it definitely has its point. And like I said, the Captain Marvel versus Superman fight in JLU is a beautiful sequence. It's a wonderful sequence. But it does underline the fact that there's no real accountability at all. I don't think that of these two answers, I chose no. Because it's it's often explained things like, you know, Marvel has damage control that comes in. And there are superhero clauses in the insurance policies. This is this is canon, if you ever read the damage control comic. People will come okay, in and, cool. oh, it's in your insurance. But in the DC universe, there's sort of an explanation that, oh, yeah, and all the Green Lanterns help to rebuild things with their magic rings, yay. I think that thinking about this is really going to... It's, it's going to unravel any suspension of disbelief you have. Because if you start asking yourself, who pays for the road repairs in Metropolis? The obvious answer is nobody. Metropolis is a made-up concept by a couple of guys from Cleveland. And Superman is a picture of a guy in tights. So if you have to think about it that hard, I feel like it kind of undermines it. So I chose no for that reason. But as far as the Marvel Universe goes, you said they've already talked about this and they've they've spelled yep. this out for a long they time, did, right? They did several miniseries featuring Damage Control, which is a company whose job is to come in and rebuild the Baxter building when Doctor Doom launches it into space. Well, you know, uh, in the Mighty, that's what that team is all about that follows uh, what's his name around the superpower guy around. The collateral they, damage. Score. Yeah, they were the collateral damage people. Well, and yep. um that's that's what kind of in a sense what the boys are mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it's a in in ultimates they talk about it mm-hmm. they you know uh, there was a, in, a in ultimates issue. they even talk about other fights like when ultimate starts they they're just talking about spider-man fighting the hulk right and how many problems that cost around the city so right. it's it's definitely something that if a writer wants to get into it is there mm-hmm. but it's like um and and i thought it was uh, especially bad in uh and it's particularly bad in like japanese um monster movies, ser- monster movies and series Tetsuo! and stuff like power ranger you know stuff right, that right, comes right, from right. that right that general school like i remember watching oh, yeah, yeah. power rangers as a kid i mean like yes let's swing that, around that knock monster, him into a building for no reason like it's one thing if the if the building gets in godzilla's way but a monster just goes Rawr! and like breaks a building and then breaks yeah, another building just to building, show how tough they can be and then the power rangers punch him and he falls into another building and i was yeah, like yeah. are there people in this building yeah does it's uh, made of cardboard of course there are no people in the building yeah, well, yeah exactly um i always liked the and and this is terrible um the uh was it brave star you remember that cartoon yeah i love that Barely. cartoon um, whenever the bad guys showed up, the entire town just shrank back into this fort <laughs> yes. so that the bad guys wouldn't damage it. Like, I think that's what Metropolis should do. Like, whenever, you know, Mongol shows up, like, the building should just sink down into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that'd be kind of cool. I don't know. I just, I think it'd be interesting to, I know we've seen books like Marvel's where we look at the mm-hmm. average Joe kind of person, but I'd like to see... You know, somebody getting dressed in the morning and turning on the radio and uh, downtown construct traffic is still tied up this morning following last week's battle between the Hulk and Spider-Man and the person just going, God damn it, another, when are they, these effing superheroes and then kapowakus right through his 
his bedroom, half his bedroom gets wiped out by who knows, Dr. Doom or somebody doing something. And it's just like, you know, what's going on? And, and I just think it'd be interesting to find out what, what do we do with this damage? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, uh, well, this is crazy stuff. And with Superman, I mean, there are just in punching someone through a building, someone's going to get hurt. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. someone's going to die. Like, yeah, exactly. And we don't really see, I mean, maybe this is kind of tied into the, the question last week about destroying, what was it? Opal city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and all these people that have died there and, you know, just as a collateral damage. But I mean, this is kind of a big impact that, that you're having on a society's ability to function and function well, correctly. Uh, and it's, I don't know. I just don't feel like it's been addressed. And I think Superman should somehow it, be accountable for his damage. I can think of three places, although not Superman related, where it has been addressed and addressed in an interesting way. Uh, recent issue of Invincible. Yes. After the Invincible battle, the Viltramite War, right. Invincible fought a villain who was mad at him because he and other superheroes were rebuilding the infrastructure. Right. And the villain, the villain was like, no, this could provide jobs. This could provide you know, a change. This could be the new version of the New Deal, and you schmucks are going to come in and fix it and make us all dependent upon you. Right. I can, I, and that was a really thing. good. That was a really good point because Invincible was like, "What the f are you talking about? Why are you trying to destroy everything that I'm building?" And that was a really and good episode. But can you was. just imagine an average Superman fight where, let's say, he tears up the city street? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. that is going to cost the city. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to repair the city street. Where's the city Metropolis getting that money? I thought Metropolis was like all robotic Robot. now. And where, 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 that was it doesn't matter. While, though, where, do, where do people get this? Where, where's the city getting this money for the repairs? Do you remember the Astro City taxes. episode where all the citizens of Astro City, this guy just moved to town and all the citizens of Astro City were coming together and they're like, we're going to have a block party and a chili feed on Friday and we're all going to help, you know, board up windows and clean up glass. I love that moment mm-hmm. where they were dealing with the giant crisis and, and the guy's like, I love it in Astro City. I'm going to live here forever. That's great if a community can say, hey, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stand for the occasional losing all of my property. If that means I'm being protected by Superman, let's just hope that when he does fight Mongol, that Mongol doesn't land on top of my family who was inside of a car. Well, and maybe, right. you know, maybe there's essentially a superhero tax, you know. Well, maybe, maybe that's what you should all have, of the yes. proceeds from Superman t-shirts and action figures uh, well, go that's directly into paving. pay for the victims. Have they ever discussed that in uh, DC Comics, Matthew, about Superman licensing his likeness? Superman's likeness has been licensed, but I don't know if it was legal. I think it's interesting, though, that Rodrigo brings that up because we do see Superman merchandise. Yes. We see hats and T-shirts. There was, I can't remember what year, it's like 88 or 90. There was a whole series of where people were merchandising Batman stuff, and Batman was really concerned because there was somebody perverting mm. the image of Batman uh, for that. Yes, he was really perverting the that. image of a man who yes, puts on tights exactly. and meets other men in dark yes. alleys. Yes, but it was just... It was inter- that was an interesting concept back then, but I don't think we've ever seen that. Now, of course, Booster Gold, he would have no problem. You well, know, Booster he sells Gold his own license. action figures and toys. Yeah, he licenses Booster himself licenses out. Booster licenses his figures. And Youngblood did the same thing. Matt- I think the worst, the worst take on this for me was, do you remember when Amadeus Cho was uh, around the time of Planet Hulk? He was all like, the Hulk's awesome. You just don't get the Hulk. He's like an indie band that hasn't sold out yet, and everybody loves him. And Marvel came up with this thing. Where Amadeus Cho said that in all the years that the Hulk had been rampaging, no one had ever been killed. Okay. 
They said this on panel wow. uh, that Bruce Banner's brain was so advanced that even as the Hulk, he could use his super brain to destroy things and no one would ever be killed. And Matthew went, oh, crap, that's the worst rationalization ever. Where's my Legion of Superheroes? Well, yeah, I mean, didn't, didn't they go out? Didn't they actually like they, they made that series banner, right? Right. Um, and then they were like, holy crap, this is awesome. Let's make this the actual canon Hulk, right? Right, right. Um, I mean, in that series, the Hulk kills people. Right. You know, accidentally, sort of, yeah, yeah, as he yeah. rampages around the countryside. But it's a thing. Right. It, it, that's a hard balance to take because I felt like the Ultimate Hulk, do you remember when the Ultimate Hulk destroyed the entire city of Manhattan? Yes. yes. Killed thousands of people? Yes. I will never look at Ultimate Hulk as a hero again. He's dead, I think. Nope. I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> There's a gray guy who looks like the Hulk, who's a part of this ultimate X-Men thing. And I look at that and I go, isn't that the guy who beat up an entire island and threatened to rape Betty Banner with his tattooed <laughs> Hulk penis? And that's and that's partially why, you know, this, despite it kind of... Uh, I mean, the, the Ultimates... I really like the Ultimates because it sat down and said, okay, the Hulk's not really a hero. He's actually an accidental weapon of mass destruction. Let's treat him as such. You know, costumes should have more ribs. Another thing that uh, the, the Ultimates <laughs> gave us. And goggles. There aren't enough yes. goggles in comic books. Maximus and everybody Rip should have short sleeves on their costumes. Yes, That's Max what Maximus Riff says, you should just leave Superman alone and be <laughs> grateful that he came to stop whatever came to blow up Metropolis that day. Don't blame Superman because your insurance agent shafts you because they say you're not covered. That's not his fault. And if you don't have insurance in a superhero city, then you're poor, or you probably should have <laughs> known better. <laughs> I like yeah. ask ask him if the devil sold him insurance in return for his wife and see how red he turns. Brainy Pirate says, I've wondered this for years but I know comics are not realistic, but in the post-9-11 world, we're all very much aware that office buildings have people already inside them when Superman punches the bad guy through the fourth floor. Josh Mayfield also uh, goes on to say, I have to abstain from this one because the real answer isn't up there. I remember an issue where Superboy caused some property damage and Luther told him he was obliged to clean it up. Connell was about to say whatever to Lex, but Superman came on the scene and told Connor that Luther, in this instance, was right. So what I'm saying is, if Superman is the direct cause of property damage, he'll fix things up at super speed. So neither poll choice is the right one. I don't know. I think he's he does a fight, and then he's well, pretty quick to get back to the, uh, here's the Daily thing, Planet though. to file his 5 o'clock story. It's something that it's not addressed, though. It's something that a lot of the time the writers don't take into account. And and I'm not, I'm not like challenging here, but go back and see when was the last time that Superman punched somebody through a building. Right. Um, it probably was either a while ago or there's like some circumstance to it. Right. You know, it's not Superman going like, I don't think Superman has actually, well, he's not even on the planet earth right now. Exactly. So. Superman hasn't picked up a car and hit somebody with it for a while. I think unless it's like doomsday and then, well, or Lobo. Right. Right. Unless or, it's to the point where there is no other way except hitting him with a car. Right. And uh, Superman turning into a mindless slugging machine during the uh, Doomsday crossover is probably not territory we want to revamp 15 right. years down the line, because I'll still rage. Rico sums it up, I think, for this week's Poll of the Week. Short answer, everyone in Metropolis has a Cobra parachute. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, Rico wins the internet. 
Come back next week, folks. And, uh, well, actually, we're well, done. Let's go He home. also does point out that in The Incredibles, which is something I forgot to mention, The Incredibles killed the superheroes. Or, I mean, uh, lawsuits yeah. killed the superheroes because the company, the government, couldn't afford to pay for all the property damage that they were causing. Yep. So I think it's been answered in a number of different ways. And you, too, listener, can go over to the Major Spoilers website cast your vote in this week's major spoilers poll of the week go down in the comments section and leave your witty well thought out uh, verse and uh, see what other people think about it and uh before we come back to talk about the losers no we're not talking about us we're going to be talking Drive about the book body listen to this 61 second movie review thank you steven my name is the dexter Warner too I'm speaking with my voice to give you a 61-second review of Richard Curtis's The Boat That Rocked, or Pirate Radio, if you're from the US of A. So here we go, The Boat That Rocked, in 61 seconds, starting from now. So, being a Richard Curtis comedy, I wasn't surprised to see that the plot wasn't there. The plot was basically a series of jokes strung together to make something that vaguely resembles a plot. Which in some cases works, but in this case really didn't, especially when it tried to get all plotty towards the end. And while the twists are there, they're inherently predictable, as well as is the acting, which is often flat and two-dimensional, with some very notable performances. It's not like they don't carry the jokes, it's just that they don't have any realism to them. It's also a quintessentially British film. You need to have an understanding of the history of Britain and the British sense of humour before limping into this. But even if you're just a fan of music, really get this film because the music in it is wonderful and gets a whole slice of meatloaf of its own. And the visual effects surprise me. There's quite a sequence towards the end that really takes a whole edge off the film, makes it a whole different film. So all in all, three slices of meatloaf. So thanks for taking the time out of your major spoilers podcast to listen to me today peace and love everybody I am the papa Remember, everyone, if you have a comment or if you'd like to share a thought with the major spoilers crew all you have to do is call the major spoilers hotline what is that number Matthew 7857279 1939, the major spoilers. <sighs> That's right, everybody, and we do appreciate everyone who does does send in thoughts and comments. Who, this, who week, does this? this week in our uh, comic book discussion, we're going to be talking about the first two volumes of The Losers, the first 12 issues of the series that introduces readers to The Losers, formerly an elite U.S. Special Forces unit that served as a covert bloody hand of the American government until they stumbled into something really big. <gasps> and got themselves booted out of the CIA, or at least tried to kill killed by the CIA, and they've been living on the run. And if you can find them, and if you've got a problem, maybe they can help. Now, this is a reimagining, Matthew. Tell me, who are the losers? Who are the losers that maybe many people think of when they first say the loser's comic book? Well, the original Losers, the Losers that you and I may remember from Circuit Crisis on Infinite Earths, was actually a team put together of several different DC characters um, that were basically comic war carriers. Johnny Cloud, who was initially 
a pilot, I believe, in the Air Force, Gunner and Sarge, who were kind of entertaining, and uh, Captain Storm, who was kind of like John F. Kennedy if he'd been shot in the leg. Mm -hmm. Um, And the four of them worked together as the losers. They had their own books, and then they brought them together as the losers in uh, GI Combat in like the 70s, I think. Uh, But they're mostly known for some serious work by guys like uh, Joe Kubert, Russ Heath, you know, the the war artist, DC's guys, John Severin. I believe most of it was written by uh, Bob Koeniger, who also did Sergeant Rock. Mm-hmm. But the original losers were kind of like four guys from four different branches of the service who basically had, they were kind of like the Dirty Dozen. They had no reason to live. Right. They, they you know, they, they had all been in situations where they lost their command or they lost their squadron or they lost, you know, their, their entire, but, Battalion, and now they're they're sent in when everything is literally they're the A team. They're sent in when everything is hopeless. Right. So in this reimagining, we're introduced to Lieutenant Colonel Franklin Clay, who's the leader. Uh, he's the one that I think loves it when a plan comes together, and he's the one that kind of has a direction where this team is going to go as they try to, I don't know, get back at the man, or in this case, Max, this uh, really evil dude who uh, is trying to have them killed. Who's really embedded deeply into the government so deep that we don't really know who or what he is. Um, we also are introduced in the first six issues to captain William Roke or Roche or rogue. I think it, I think it's Roke. Roke. Roche. All right. I say Roche, but if you, if you replace that Q with a G boy, that'll give you a little bit of a hint of what happens in the first six issues. Uh, Corporal uh he gets J- a white Jensen. stripe in his hair and starts. Yes. Uh, and he's got that. Well, he does have that scar down his face. Uh, what is it? Corporal Jake Jensen, who's their computer hacker, who we'll talk about the character development in a moment. Sergeant Carlos Alvarez, who's the sniper. Alvarez. Alvarez. Sergeant Lidwood Porteous, who's the pilot. And Alicia. Aisha. Aisha, who is the, I don't know, how do you classify her? She's kind of a... She's the she's Howling a, Mad Murdoch character. Oh, I was going to say uh, Porteous is, since he's the pilot. She's she certainly she has been embedded with uh, Afghani Pakistani forces for so long that I think she's a little tweaked on uh, on that side, just a little bit. She's definitely the Wolverine. She's that loose yeah. cannon who will be the best she does at whatever she is, or something like that. So these these first six issues. Rodrigo, what what occurs in this first story arc? In the first story arc, um, it opens up with a bunch of crazy guys stealing an army helicopter. You're like, oh no, who are these crazy guys who are stealing an army helicopter? And why are they stealing an army helicopter? Yeah, more, most more importantly, why are they stealing that helicopter? And then they tell you, they're like, oh, we are the losers, man, and they try to kill us, but now we are trying to find out why they tried to kill us. Also, we saw some bad things that were bad, and now we are going to get back at Max. Who is yeah, man. Max is bad, man. And one thing leads to another, and then... I don't know. I thought this first story arc was a little odd to kind of deal with. Because by the end of the first six issues, Roke turns against them, mm-hmm. and is, is double-crosses them all for money... And thinks that he's going to have him killed. But fortunately, they escape in a very delicious manner. Yes. And I like that a lot. Um, And then they say, well, this goes up to the next level. And so in the next story arc, we're going to take it to the next level. 
the next level. And break down what happens in that next level story. Something about a bomb and something about being in this uh, top secret CIA sanctioned warehouse on the coast of Texas and all hell breaks loose. This is where they're going to find the evidence apparently is, is stored on a server. And that's why they need their hacker friend to get in there and get this hard drive Mm -hmm. so that they can show the evidence of who Max really is and bring down the bad forces within the government that are doing bad things. But of course, one thing leads to another and all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. And then they escape. And then they escape because they one day are fight, the losers. One day to fight again and maybe someday to bring down Max. Well, I, I, and I do like that because, you know, a, a big caper, and this, and that's what each one of these yeah, stories is. is a caper, is, yeah. Is, is a big caper. There's your planning. There's that scene where it's like, okay, and then we get the Chinese acrobat in the box. Yeah. And he breaks out at this point. Um, but he's got a Band-Aid on his hand now. That's right. And... At some point, it goes wrong, and then they pull it together at the last second, get most of what they came to get, and es- barely escape with their lives. It, you know, it's... It is a routine... It's kind of formulaic in a right. broad sense, but it's It works, off. though, yeah. right? And I think, even though I have a problem more with the first arc, especially with uh, with uh, Roke turning rogue, mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed both of these stories, and that's why I put them both together, because there's this bigger story in the first two volumes where you get the bigger picture that Max, this guy is really out to get them now and bring them down in every way possible. But there may be somebody working on the inside to maybe help them out in the long run, Mm -hmm. which I find very, found very entertaining, uh, in this series. Matthew, what are your general overall thoughts uh, on these, uh, two arcs? Well, I, uh, I don't like being negative. I really don't, but I did not care for this. Why not? Um, well, and here's my thing. When I first read The Losers, I was working in a call center as an agent. And so I would go to the Lawrence Public Library and grab just vast wadges of trade paperbacks. And when I first read The Losers, I read it at about the same time when I was in the midst of their vertigo section. Mm-hmm. So I read it at the same time as Transmetropolitan and 100 Bullets. I went into this remembering things that I loved about the losers that actually happened in 100 bullets. <laughs> That's not good. So I was, I was, yeah, I was looking forward to talking about how awesome a character Dizzy was and what was going to be going on. So I, I remember briefly reading the first trade pa- paperback of the losers and putting it down and never picking it up again. Um, Andy Diggle, don't get me wrong, is an artist that I really like. Andy Diggle has written, I know he did an Adam Strange story that I just loved for DC mm-hmm. right about the time of Infinite Crisis. This story just is not my cup of tea. It feels like, well, I mean, the, the obvious thing is to say that it's a big, it's a big caper movie. It's a big summer blockbuster, but it feels a little too testosterone laden for me. Well, that's why they have a girl in there. Well, yeah, throw her in there. She's a pretty girl, too too so and she's crazy that doubles the testosterone. i don't know it just it never gelled for me i i i have the moments where i want to like jensen mm-hmm. and there there are a couple of really wonderful moments involving jensen and cougar that i really love there's a moment where jensen is pretending to be telekinetic and he points his finger at somebody and goes bang and the guy flies yeah, across yeah. the room and everybody freaks out yeah. it turns out that cougar's across the street with a rifle yeah mm-hmm. 
And every time he goes bang, Cougar is shooting the bad guys in the chest. Yeah, and it freaks so, everybody out. I mean, that is a good scene. But then there's also a, he also gets really weird whenever you get into uh, you know the he's saying, "Oh, I'm still working on it, boss. You know, I've got all this stuff going on. I'm gonna put it down on the USB drive." And he's like, "Are you hacking in your underwear again?" And then it's like, "Oh, this typical crazy hacker man." Mm-hmm. And then he does something, and all of a sudden the East Coast goes out of power. And Oops! That's, I better that's plug that back way. in. That's kind of the way I feel about most of this is that, you know, Clay should be played by George Clooney. Mm-hmm. And I think Roke needs to be, and this is, this is an old reference, Tim Thomerson. Tim Thomerson from Doll Man should be Roke in my head. And Jensen should be played by the guy from um, that Keanu Reeves football movie, The Kicker. The Scottish guy or the Irish guy, he's wiry. That should be Jensen to me. And I, I realize that I'm relating to these characters based on the fact that I've seen the character type mm-hmm. somewhere else. We're dealing with, you know, archetype characters, but we're dealing with them in a way that doesn't feel fresh to me. It feels like there's a lot of, of, of warmed over bits and pieces of, you know, a little Ocean's Eleven here and a little right, right. Three, three Kings there and a little bit of Hundred Bullets here and there. And I'm just, I didn't, I didn't get really dragged into this story, partly because of the huge testosterone, bang, bang, shoot him up factor. And right. partly because I, I just, I don't find the characters with the exception of Cougar, who really is more of a cipher than anything. I don't find the characters to be really easy to just leap in and go, that's a fully rounded character. I can see why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. I guess for me, I, I'm sorry, on that second arc, it takes place at that volcano island that's about right. to blow up. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, I guess for me, the problem is that I wasn't aware of the losers until they announced that they were making a movie of it. And then I was like, okay, well, let me go try to check out the trade paperback. Well, mm-hmm. Amazon wasn't selling that at that time, and then they opened up a window where you could get it. I bought it. Then they've closed it up again because the movie's coming out, so they're going to wait until the movie's almost ready to open and then open it. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read it yet until just uh, about four weeks ago. I think the last time we were here recording the the Critical Hit podcast, mm-hmm. and he was doing that while we were playing. Yes, and in between, in yeah, between, one of accuracy something. In between that time. They released both the Losers trailer and they also released the A-Team trailer. And both of those have a similar look and feel that I am, after reading these these, uh, collected trades, these two trades together, I'm more convinced that the Losers is nothing more than a glorified A-Team modern retelling of of that kind of story. Mm. And I don't know, it's kind of fun at the same time, but also kind of puts a little tarnish on it for me, I guess. In that, yeah. really, a team, really. That's kind of how I how I feel about well, about the series. And, I mean, I still enjoyed it, but I kept every time I turn a page, I was like, okay, here comes this part, badoom. Right here comes this part. Up oh, there it is. Oh, I missed it by and a page. Here comes the inevitable betrayal. And yeah, I love a movie that room that this story is obviously drawing from a little bit right and it's it's probably benicio del toro's best role ever and i kept expecting the revelation that kaiser soze is actually one i mean max is actually one of the group yeah i was kind of thinking that but, too you know and, I, you know, I, I think and then i thought it was dick cheney and then i was told i wasn't yeah, dick, it wasn't dick cheney hmm. it's not dick cheney, and dick dick cheney, cheney is not kaiser soze. or is he dun 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 
Don't well, ask do you that think, question. So let me ask you this. I mean, we don't know. The movie comes out in a couple more weeks, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you think this would, would, the stories that we've read, not knowing what the movie's going to be, does this look like an interesting movie? Would you go and see this movie? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a... It's going to be great special effects. Cool. I really like team books and team movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when everybody has a purpose. Yeah, when everybody's doing their thing. There's there's really an unfortunate amount of cliches in this, uh, in, in, in The Losers, right down to um, they get betrayed by Roke, right? Right. And he pistol whips, um, what's his face? The head guy. The head guy. Um, Clay. and then, Clay. yeah, and then you get a close up of him and he's like licking the blood off the yeah, gun, yeah, right? Yeah. Like he's 15 just... pages later, Aisha is running around stabbing people with a knife. And after she stabs them, she licks the blood <laughs> off the knife because licking the blood off of a weapon you just use means you're crazy. Right. And these people are crazy. Yeah. Um, Ooh. also they are cool. They're killers. You know, That's it's what like they are. A, a lot of this, a lot of this book felt like. This guy has crazy sunglasses, and that's why he is cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I also didn't like it when Green Arrow shot Max in the face. <laughs> I have a, um, I don't know. I like looking at the color palette that artists use mm-hmm. in a series, um, especially if it's really well done. I like Franco uh, Francesco Franco Villa, what he does in Zorro, and I think that's ex- really well done for how he's telling the story. Uh, in the losers, it seems like we are limited to a color palette of yellow, orange, and blue, purple, mm-hmm. with really nothing else in between. And I don't know, that really got kind of old for me after a while, especially when we're changing locations. You know, if you're down in Volcano City, then yeah, let's do a red color palette. If you are in Wisconsin, yeah, maybe a blue color palette because maybe that denotes safety. But to have it throughout the entire series mm-hmm. really became bothersome. Well, I had I had some issues with the art. Um, okay, I actually like had to go back and look at the cover because I didn't realize that Roke and Clay were two separate characters. Right. <laughs> I had that in the early. I, I, that yeah. was yeah. At in the, the beginning, early, that was they good. they yeah. look too similar, and in the beginning, they're always you know covered in shadows and stuff like that. And, right. You know, within the first twenty pages, I haven't memorized the characters' names yet. Mm-hmm. So then they all have monosyllabic names anyway. So. I was I was actually kind of confused, and I had to go back, and I was like, and if you look at the cover of the trade that we're reading, I don't know if this is a cover in every trade, and I'm like, um, Roke actually looks black. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's the bald black guy, and I was looking for the black guy with hair, and I couldn't find him, and as it turns out, he's not black. He just kind of looks that way in the cover. He's um, just orange. Yeah. So I was I was actually kind of confused, and throughout there are times when definitely the inking at least seems muddy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there are I, I can't tell if there are finer lines within you know, and and the inking was just kind of problematic. But a lot of the time, I think they're going for the shadowy look, and it mostly just makes things confusing. Yeah, and no, you know. No offense, I guess, because I do like Jock's work. I think some of it is really mm-hmm. uh, stylistic, very iconic in some instances. I mean, some of it we've seen before. I mean, everybody's pointing to this. Yeah, this but he does cover great and, hardware. <laughs> and he and the, the movie his, cover, his vehicles, oh, yeah, yeah. His, his, planes, his tanks, his, his planes awesome, all look but... great. The guns all look awesome. You know, I, that's why I said I really love that sequence where at the end of the first trade, where they are in that little reservoir with the boat. 
Mm-hmm. And they sync it, and it's just so well done because then when you get to the big reveal, it's like there's a lot of detail in uh, in issue six. Um, yep. But and the cars look wonderful, yes. Um, but yeah, I think maybe some of the character bits can be very confusing to readers. Mm-hmm. And really, the the big action sequences when they're clashing, crashing a plane into a bigger plane, look awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, bullets flying. You know, very iconic. Kind of like I'm gonna hit you with an and things change color. No, you're yeah, not. Yeah. No, I am. Yes, I know. When people get chopped up by propeller blades. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's all very, very vivid. But then when yeah. you get to talking, when you get to like, when you get to the points where they are, you know, like most books, taking a moment to kind of explain what's been going on, it actually makes things confusing, which is, you know, like visually it becomes confusing. Are you is, talking like when Pooch goes home to visit his family? Um, sort of. Mostly I'm talking about when, like, the team is, like, decompressing together or, oh, like, okay. getting ready for their next missions. Yeah. Like, oh, and again, you know, sort of problematic cliches for me. I have been here for a week already. <laughs> I am so very stealthy. It's like, yeah. really? You've been here in this, what, you mean in this room that long <laughs> with Jensen? That's weird. And not, like, creepy cool weird. That's just, like, lame weird. Yeah. I do think that there are some good character development moments in the in the issue, such as um, Pooch having to pretend that he's dead mm-hmm. and his family having to be quiet because they know he's alive, right. and then the ultimate betrayal by the brother-in-law. Right. Who who thinks he's doing the right thing? Oh, yeah. I think that like, he's involved he in some kind of drug. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the whole, um, what is it, Alvarez? Um, with Cougar. The, yeah, with the whole uh, finding the the horror or the atrocity in that, in that mm-hmm. jail cell where he went to go find people I thought was makes for interesting character moments. And we do get Aisha. We get a little bit of feel for what she's been through, mm-hmm. but we really don't understand what everyone else's backstory is. And maybe that's something a little lacking in these first 12 issues. Yeah. And I don't know, I've never not read the entire series yet. <coughs> I'm thinking of going and trying to get some of the other trades and reading through what is there like 30, 30 some issues, something like that. Um, I can loan you my copies. And I want to see if the characters get developed more and if the stories become more interesting or, you know, if it's the same thing again and again and again. Can I, um, speaking of, of Cougar, can I do a little song real quick? Sure. It goes like this. Don't write in Spanish if you don't speak Spanish. It comes across as stupid. You can use those little carrots and an asterisk and say, this was done in Spanish. What was the big problem with Cougar? Oh, it's all over the place. Like, it's just, you know, it's incorrect verb tense kind of things. Who do you think? I am not to have an understanding of what you are speaking. Do you think someone's just using uh, Babelfish and and doing a translation or? It's it's always at first uh, and mostly because he speaks in like very common usage. Right. Like via con Dios and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a problem. But during that scene when he's kind of having his little R&R moment down in Mexico. Right. um, Issue seven. Yeah. He, there's this part where he says, I think, vaya con Dios, angelitos, which is, you know, go with God, little angels. Right. But God does, or not God, but go doesn't agree with little angels because in English... You know, the verb only kind of has to agree with the tense right, right. most of the time, but right. in Spanish has to agree with the tense and the subject. 
Right. Um, and there's just throughout as the book goes on, he peppers in more and more Spanish, and it actually just gets more and more incorrect. Nah. Right. So DC, what, here's what, what you need to do. What should he have said, Vayan? Yes, Vayan. Here's what you Vian need to do, DC. Here. You need to hire Rodrigo as a consultant. That's right. And he will look <laughs> over all of your text, and he will fix it for you. You know, well, why not just low, hire price. the three of us, and we will cover everything for sixty-four thousand dollars <laughs> plus right. expenses per day. But but that's that's actually a good point. Uh, you know, more and more. You know, the, there, there's more and more people who speak Spanish in the U.S. Right. There's more and more Hispanic people getting into comics. Right. All over the world. Right. You are taking a risk. As a writer, you are taking a risk not knowing what you're writing. I mean, I... If I was writing something, I wouldn't just have somebody speaking Arabic or Chinese or something like that. A language that I don't understand. Unless there was somebody that I trusted that I thought... uh had a good grasp on what the book was about and what the characters were saying, right. translate it for me. Right. Um, and that I knew was a native speaker. Let me ask you this, not to be offensive. Sure. But do you think companies, comic book companies, really don't give a crap because their target audience is the 25 to 40-year-old white guy, just like they don't give a crap about women in comics, so therefore they call their comics girls' comics? And it's, it's possible. And let's, let's take so a, therefore they don't feel maybe they're not aware of a large possible contingent of Spanish speaking readers. And so they're just like, eh, yeah, so what? I don't think it's quite that. I think what it is, and this is this is very important and a total digression from what we're talking about. But companies, I think possibly all over the world, but especially in the United States, don't understand what a complex process it is to translate something and to translate something properly. Yeah, There are lots of companies who are like, hey, Pete speaks Spanish, have him translate this. And you look at it and they will translate like forms, like legally binding forms, and they will be so poorly translated that they are basically illegible. Mm -hmm. And they don't care. They don't understand. They don't understand how hard it is to translate something. They don't understand that it takes hours to translate four pages of text. Right. Just right. because you have to basically take what you're take the text decom- like deconstruct it and then build it again in a different yep. language. Right, right, right. Because everything You can't just transliterate the words into exactly, another exactly. language. Right. And which is what Babelfish does. Exactly. Um and then you get into colloquialisms, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you're reading something and it says, put the pedal to the metal, like, that doesn't translate directly. Even if there, you properly yeah, translate I, the sentence, it still doesn't... Well, my wife has had problems when at the hospital because she speaks Spanish, and so she becomes the de facto interpreter yeah. every time they need to translate something. And she'll try to read an instruction that's in English, and she's like, there's no translation for this. Yeah. Or a couple of months ago, your mom had called trying to find a translation for a specific that's word, right. and it was just like... There's no there's, there's no, no actual translation for this. Yeah, so I can understand that, but I you're right. Maybe you know someone who doesn't speak Spanish and probably wouldn't pick up these little things probably sits there and just oh, okay uh, or whatever. Some random but word I can see Spanish. that it b- bothers you yeah. a lot because we've talked this before about Saint Shark, yeah. uh, the Church of Saint yeah. Shark, and all that see, stuff. See, I don't so. even know it. I don't think of it as a malice thing, and I think that oh no, oh I don't for, think they're trying in, to do in it some on purpose. Ways, that that makes it even more egregious in that 
you know, if you were intentionally going, oh, those silly Spanish speakers, they'll eventually learn English. That would be, you know, a, a, <laughs> yeah. a stance. But a, yeah, a to just treat it yeah. as, right, as right, incidental, right. just treat it as sort of a, oh, well, that's probably good enough. Well, but what I'm well, getting what I'm getting to is, eh, we don't have that many Spanish readers. Eh, who cares? Well, it's the equivalent of English. Right. It's, it's really, yeah. they're just sitting down and saying, here are some words to make this character sound cool. This character spent yeah. some time in Mexico. He has Mexican friends. Right, right, or, right. Or maybe it's actually... Mexican. I well, maybe. Know. Well, well, his last, his last name. I, I didn't get. I don't. Do they ever Alvarez. mention that in the book? Uh, well, we if looked do, it up I on the wiki. If they, so. if they do, I never put two and two together. Yeah, but all I know. I don't think they ever call him anything but cougar in the book. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they're trying to tell you maybe he doesn't character. speak good. Maybe he doesn't speak good Spanish. Would that make sense if he was maybe not a good a Spanish poser. speaker? Maybe. Maybe he's 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 Mexican American, but he grew up in like you know St. Paul, Minnesota, yeah. and he's trying to be the the badass miss you know Mexican guy that, like you know Robert Rodriguez and Machete. And, and you know if you if that is the case, then I will give them props for a very like <laughs> metatextual reading of badass characters. Um, if it yeah, turns they out, pick up all these cool phrases if, and they just if start... it turns out that he trained under a samurai master who is later revealed not to be a samurai <laughs> master at all, then I'll be like, yes, this this is what people who love Wolverine need to be reading. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so our uh, digression into the world of uh, different speaking characters comes to an end. Yes, as does it's not we even get a close digression. It's it's I mean no, it's an I mean it's a it's a, yeah, of the way it we process. Okay. It is. It really is important. So as we wrap up, though, Rodrigo, give us your final thoughts on the losers. Good read, not so good a read. Buy it, not buy it, whatever. It's a good read. If you can, honestly, if you can find it, borrow it from a friend, find it in your library, um, you know, read the first few pages at the comic store and think that it's something that you'd like, go for it. But it's kind of... You know, it has some good moments. It has some interesting moments. It has moments that are very much its own. But you have to pick through all the cliches and kind of predictable caper movie motif Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. things to get to them. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure the movie is going to be awesome while simultaneously being awesomely predictable. Are you going to go see the movie? uh, Probably not. Okay. But I go see very few movies. Okay. Nowadays, I mostly just go see movies for the site. There you go. All right. I enjoyed by cable. I enjoyed this book. I enjoyed the series because I do like the 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 caper movies. I do like the team movies. I do like the the exploitive explosion fight them mystery kind of yeah. elements that Get appear in these the kind of books. Of your teeth yeah, yeah I do I, I do enjoy that. Is it predictable? Yes. Another thing that doesn't translate. You know, well. we call we call things popcorn movies. Mm-hmm. This is a popcorn comic book. This is yeah. one where you sit down and you just well, I in the case popcorn when I read this was not a good day to be TV. reading this. But uh this is a movie where you just sit down and you forget about the worries of the world and you read this comic book and you enjoy it. So I'm saying go ahead and pick it up and read it. It's not gonna be it's not gonna change your life. But it is going to be a fun read. Mm. 20 bucks, you know, you're going to go to Avatar and spend 20 bucks, and you're probably not going to have as good a time. Yeah. So, Matthew? Because the 3D will give you a headache. Yes. Right. Or some of you who can't if, see 3D, there you go. There, uh, Several years ago, I bought a book by Kevin, um, uh, Kevin O'Neill, I believe. No, not Kevin O'Neill. Kevin Murphy of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where he talks about why it bugged him that people were all hopping, hoppy, hopping about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And he breaks it down simply to saying, 
There's nothing wrong with liking a movie that's a big, dumb, chop movie. Right. There is nothing wrong with this comic series. It is an action-adventure thriller. It is, you know, I think it's going to make an interesting movie. I think it's going to make a successful movie because it is essentially a series of action movies strung together. Now, for me, it never transcends the sum of its parts Mm-hmm. The various influences, the various bits and pieces, you know, the here's the Wolverine character and here's the face man character and here's the quiet guy who can shoot you from 700 feet away feels very familiar. And the build up and the whole thing about what is the mysterious Goliath? Well, it's uh, we don't know. It's going to lead us into our next mission. You know, it kind of felt a little shop worn for me. I would say read it. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a must buy. But if you like, you know, the Ocean's Eleven, if you like the usual suspects, if you liked, you know, the one that keeps popping into my head is Three Kings with like Ice T and George mm-hmm. Clooney. Yeah, which is a good that, movie. That, it is a good movie, yeah. It, it, it felt very much like that. And if that's the sort of thing that you dig, then this is something that I think you're going to like. Just make sure you don't go in with an expectation that it's going to be a Vertigo comic, as I did. Because mm-hmm. there were there were no sexual references and no weird tantric magic, and there were no, you know, young girls on the verge of adulthood dealing with their sexuality, and, you know, all the stuff that I expect of a Vertigo title from the 90s isn't there. And more importantly, make sure you read it with 100 bullets, because then you'll remember it as being <laughs> awesome. Because together, those two books are awesome. A hundred bullets and the losers combined, or as we like to call it, a hundred loser bullets, is like the best comic ever. It it, it actually was only published in the Amalgam Universe. Um, <laughs> and it was a Stanley Amalgam Universe. It as, was a, as, a, uh, as, as both a footnote and kind of a, a callback, go back and uh, check out Left on Mission. Now there's, oh, yeah, there's there a go. pretty mm-hmm. solid kind of adventure yeah. spy thriller um, that doesn't feel cliche man that was like first four issues nine billion podcasts ago it's like the first four issues that was brian's scroll brian's favorite book yep. he loved and i loved it too and that's mm-hmm. how we uh got introduced to mr chip Mosier and everybody right. over at boom yeah that's a good book um so next week we're going to continue with this idea of m- comic books turned to movies and we're going to look at the first eight issues of kick ass <laughs> from marvel <laughs> comics and mark miller mark millar depending on how you want to say it i think he's um, miller miller Okay, let Boy. me stab this in the heart right now. M I L Miller. People who say Miller are going to be the first against the wall when the revolution comes. The man's name is Miller. It's and spelled differently, but sometimes people put a T <laughs> in Stephen. Sometimes they put a PH. This just happens. And people that quote uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy will be the second people up against the wall when the revolution hey, comes. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about F U Stephen? So. On uh, next week, it we'll be talking like about the first Once eight issues of Kick-Ass. There's a new hardcover that just came out last week, I think. Mm-hmm. So you have a chance yes. to go down to the store and pick it up. Or if you've read all eight issues when they originally came out over the three hey, years of, which they uh, came out. Take a drink. We're going to be taking a look at that next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you next time. Vaya con queso, abuelita. <laughs> If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. 
You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010